Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Genesis. The series is called Beginnings. Beautiful. And this morning's message is entitled, Worship God. Worship God. And our text is Genesis 8, verses 18 through 9, 17. Genesis 8, 18 through 9, 17. Worship God. And as you turn to Genesis 8, 18, let me ask you a few questions. Is your first instinct to worship God when stormy waves of life rock your boat? Is offering God your soul in honest cries for help and gratitude the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you look at the barren landscape of your life or even this world around us? Well, let's jump back into Genesis this morning and observe what Noah did in this riveting account of God recreating the earth and repopulating it. Are you there? Genesis 8, we're going to start with verse 18. Genesis 8, 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. God saved Noah and delivered him into dry land. And Noah's first act after being on that ark for one year is to worship God by building him an altar and offering burnt sacrifices. Noah worshiped God and he calls us to do the same. Remember, the original audience for whom Moses wrote this account. Moses wrote this, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, but to whom was he writing it, church? He was writing it to Israel in the desert, about ready to step in to the promised land. And what he, God, through Moses, wanted to communicate to his people as they were about to step into the promised land is that just as Noah, upon stepping on the newly recreated earth, worshipped God first, according to God's purpose and promise, so the children of Israel in 1400 BC were being called by God to worship God first when they step into that promised land according to God's purpose and according, according to God's promise. And oh friends, we are the children of Israel. We are the children of Noah. We are part of God's people. And what's he saying to us this morning? Worship God first. 
first as a priority as we step into this world that he's called us to populate and and multiply and increase the glory of his name according to his purpose and according to his promise in fact that's the main point of the message this morning worship god according to his purpose and promise worship god church according to his purpose and his promise so here's the question well what is god's purpose Point one, God's purpose. God's purpose communicated to us here in this text is that his people would be fruitful, they would multiply, and they would fill the earth with God's glory as God's image bearers. Look at it with me. Look at your text. Look at Genesis 9.1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Skip down to Genesis 9, 7. And you, speaking to Noah, God speaking to Noah, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and multiply in it. See, this is almost verbatim what God said to Adam and Eve in the original creation. Look at it with me on the screen. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God speaking to Adam and Eve. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And now, several thousand years later, because we know Noah was 600 years old when he built the ark, and I forgot all the math, but Noah's dad was really old when he had Noah, and there was whatever. So many, many hundreds of years later, God repeats the exact same purpose for mankind. Of course he does. It's the purpose that he spoke at creation, and it's the purpose that he spoke at recreation, which is why Noah is often called the second Adam. God's going to start all over. From this man, this woman, his sons and their wives, and all these birds and animals and creeping things. Why the creeping things? Sure, saw a couple of them this weekend. but and he, So he's going to repopulate the earth. But the same purpose, go, multiply, fill it. Fill it with what? My glory as my image bearers. That's our purpose. And that purpose comes tumbling down to us through the centuries and is fulfilled in Christ. See, Jesus, I think, with this scripture in mind, said the following in Matthew 28. Here's our purpose, church. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples. So God is speaking once again to his people. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Multiply, fill. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The disciples as image bearers of Christ were being told by Christ to go multiply, increase greatly. Same verbiage here as we see in Genesis 9, 1 and 7, as we saw in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Same God, same purpose. Go fill the earth with my glory. Exercise dominion over it under my authority as my image bearers. Christ fulfills that and then sends us out to go do that. How? By making disciples with the gospel of Jesus Christ. By building cultures. By doing good in his name. 
Because he's given us the ability to, by fulfilling the very good works that he created us for. Stay with me here. By being good bankers. By being good architects, Cassie. By being good school teachers. By, by being good uh, construction foremen. By being good air traffic controllers, by being good doctors, by being good financial geniuses, by by serving our country in the military and properly defending us, by being right and just, by having fair ways of of evaluating a house that's been destroyed by a storm, and you're going to be a righteous voice in the midst of oftentimes unrighteous voices. Same call. We're preaching the gospel. Jesus Christ changes us. He forms us in his image. And then we go out and we image him. And we take dominion underneath his authority. That's our purpose, church. We're to image Jesus Christ. And do the good works that he's called us to do. And as I was praying for you, church, and I was asking the Lord, how how can we apply this Old Testament truth and, and see it brought over and fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And I feel like the Lord brought to my mind Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And in fact, when Paul wrote this, some 1,400 years after Moses wrote this, I believe Paul was thinking of this text. I think he was thinking of the great, uh, of the uh, creation mandate to fill the earth, multiply greatly, and, 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 and take dominion in, in, under God's authority. I believe he was thinking of that when he wrote this. So walk with me through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 on the screen. It starts off with Paul acknowledging our sin, even as sin caused the flood to occur and God judged sin and he wiped out the earth except for uh, Noah and his family. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is like, this is like the earth right before the flood. Children of wrath, God's judgment is coming upon them. He chooses then to save Noah. And at the saving of Noah, we move now into verses 4 through 9. Look at it, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But... God, I love those words, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that at the coming of the ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not as a result of works so that no one may boast. This fulfills what happened in Noah and what happened in the flood. God raised up Noah, certainly did, up to the highest mountains and set him and saved him through the ark, which points to Jesus. And it was all by grace as Corey preached. God's the one that closed the door behind Noah, locked it. No one can open it until Noah was safely on solid ground again. God recreated the earth. It was dead. Noah was dead spiritually, metaphorically speaking. And as he recreates us here in this text and gives life to those who are dead, so God gave life to the earth again and is going to recreate and repopulate it. It's a picture in Genesis that's fulfilled in Jesus. And I believe Paul saw that. But now here's the punchline. Why? Why did God save Noah? 
Well, here's the purpose. Multiply, fill the earth, image me as my image bearers for my glory. Go! Populate it. Build cities, build cultures under my authority. Bring glory to my name. And we see this in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Four. This is a, a purpose clause. Four. All that that we read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 means this. Here's now the payoff. Four. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, Christian, what good works has God prepared you for? This is God's purpose for you. This is why God saved you, Christian. And if you're here this morning and are not a Christian, then I would appeal to you. You need to be saved from the wrath of God, the floodwaters of the wrath of God. But being saved from that wrath and those floodwaters is not the final point. That's not the end game. He saved you, and then he has works for you to do to bring him glory. Because it's always been his purpose that his people would multiply and populate the earth, imaging him, bringing him glory. How has he called you to do that? What has he put in your heart? How is God going to move you? Where does he want to take you? What gifts do you have? And if you're sitting here thinking, oh, Al, that's passed me by. I'm a viejito now. I'll never say viejita, just viejito, okay? No, he hasn't. Do you remember what Corey said last week? Do you remember that message last week as you were sweating through your clothing? Corey said that God is never done with you, Christian, that the story of the flood is a story of rescue and recreation, that God called them out of that wrathful situation, put them in the ark, saved them, and then brought them out of the ark for his purpose. And then he read to you Joel 2.25, which in summary says that God speaks, I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten. And then Corey said, God's not done. Here's the part that confounds us. God's the one that destroyed the earth and then God's the one that recreated it. God's the one that sent the locust to eat everything that you have earned and now God's going to restore it. Now you could ask God, God, why did you send the storm in the first place? Why the locust in the first place? Who are you, O oh man, to question God? Does the, does the clay pot question the potter why he made him that way? Well, we do in our pride and arrogance, but that's where we humble ourselves and repent and say, sorry, Lord. But here's the promise. The very destruction, the very bad decisions you made, the very loss you're mourning right now, the very thoughts you're having saying, God can't use me. I've messed up too much. I am too, I'm too dirty. I've lost my temper too many times. I've done whatever it is that you're thinking about right right now too many times. It's not true because this is what this text says. God can recreate. That's what Ephesians says. God takes children of wrath and makes them beloved children of the Father. By grace alone and Christ alone, by faith alone. So what good works has he called you to do? I don't care where you're at right now. God will bring you to a place of wholeness. But he's got something for you. This is what's exciting, church. This is where we as a church get to equip you for that. That's the question. I love how Corey ended his message last week. Man, this was as on fire as I've ever heard Corey. I can just imagine spittle coming out of his mouth as he was saying this. Do you remember this? He said, do you know who we are talking about here? Isn't that the issue? 
Because see, if I'm relying on me, I can't rehabilitate my image, myself, my bank account. I can't. I'm limited. But if we're talking about God, he can. So it comes down to a faith issue, doesn't it? Do you know who we're talking about here? Do you know who we're talking about here? So Paul's saying, he can make dead things living again. He can recreate the whole earth. Do you know who we're talking about here? And what's he saying to you? Well, God's purpose leads us to God's promise, point two. God's promise. God's promise. Go back to chapter 8, verses 20 to 22, please. After Noah offered his worship to God, if you'll see there, excuse me, after Noah landed, he offers his worship to God. If you'll see there, that he offers it as a burnt offering. He builds this altar. Very first thing he does when he steps on the ground, he doesn't say, ah, you know, he just, he builds an altar and he worships God. And in that worship, it says in the text that God smelled the sweet aroma of that worship and he promised never again to curse the ground nor strike down every living creature while the earth remains. And that whole seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. What he's saying is, listen, I promise that, that we will always have the seasons. We will always have night and day. The sun's always going to come up. I'm never again going to wipe everything out like I did. Now, when it says that he promised not to curse the earth, it's not saying that he did away with the curse in 317. He's just saying he's not going to add to it like he did in the flood. And that's good news. That's really good news for people who need oxygen to breathe, a safe place to live, good schools to attend, stable economies to create jobs, and families where we multiply and friends, friends where we grow in community. See, what God's promising here is, God is saying, I'm going to promise a secure and stable environment, ecology, the world, a, a, an ecosystem. I'm going to provide a safe environment so that man will thrive, so that the promised righteous seed of the woman, 315 will come and bring salvation that I promised. See, this promise of God is not based on man's righteousness. Look at 821. Interesting. In 821, he says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. But listen to what he says next. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. You know what that's saying? I promise not to curse the ground, not because man is good, because he's not, not because he deserves it, he's not, because God knows the intention of his heart is evil from his youth. That is a picture of the gospel. I'm not going to curse the ground because one day will come a savior, the one I promised in 317, upon whom the curse will fall. He will take the curse for man, and because he takes the curse, and because he rose from the dead, and because of his righteousness, I won't curse the earth again. I'm going to maintain it so that his day will come some 1,400 years later. And that's the Savior you and I need. Man, that's the gospel. You could preach the gospel right there from that verse. Galloping through the centuries to the present, to your life and to mine. He takes the curse in our lives because he put it on Jesus. And he gives us the blessing to go and multiply and fill the earth and do what he's put in our heart to do. The good works that he's prepared beforehand for us. He not only promised that he wouldn't curse the earth, but go to chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. You will see that he also promises to feed them. You'll find that in verses 2 and 3. It's okay to eat beef, guys. Just read verses 2 and 3. He's got that cattle ready for him. 
It's also okay to be a vegetarian because he's also got the vegetables for him, whatever your conscience says. But he's going to feed him. That's the bottom line of two and three. You need food to live. You need a stable environment. I'm not going to flood it. I'm not going to throw hailstones down and destroy you and everything. I'm not going to do that again. And I'm going to feed you. The basic tenets of life, a home and food to eat. And then in verses four to six, God says, and I'm going to curb the violence that was so prevalent before the flood. You know that God destroyed the earth primarily because of the corruption, but the violence was a big part. It was a violent place, horribly violent place. So in verses four to six, God says, I'm going to enact severe legislation against murder. And that legislation is seen in verses five and six. It's called the Talion law. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. That's capital punishment authorized by scripture. Because man is made in God's image, if man sheds another man's blood wantonly, then that man's blood will be shed by law. And trust me, that curbs violence. Makes you think twice about it. So God's providing a safe environment, a secure environment, ecologically safe place that's not going to be destroyed again. He's going to feed man. Why? So that God can fulfill the covenant of grace that he made with Adam. In 3.15, when he said the seed of the woman will slay the seed of the serpent, and that seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. See, Corey preached this a couple of weeks ago. Here we have the covenant of grace preached to Noah at the beginning of the flood narrative. On the screen, Genesis 6.18. Right as Noah's about to get onto the ark. Remember, that was a year ago from where we are right now in this text. God said to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Now a year later, God says, okay, I want to talk to you about this covenant again, Noah. And we see that in verses 8 through 11. And God says that I am going to make this covenant with you, Noah, with your sons, and with your descendants. That's us. You see that? Then God said to Noah, verse 8 of chapter 9, and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So this is the covenant of grace. So God says, I am going to uh, fulfill my promise not only to not destroy the earth, not only to send you out uh, to, to inhabit the earth and to multiply the earth, but to bring a savior one day. And that savior is Jesus Christ. The promise, the promise of of stability, the promise of a savior, the promise to fulfill God's purpose, friends, it is as certain as the sun rising tomorrow. That's what it means there at the end of chapter 8. Seed time and harvest, night and day. It's as certain as fall will come in September and the gators will beat the hurricanes. Can't believe I snuck that in there. Thank you. The promise is as certain as this earth. And God said, I will not break that promise. And here's the sign of that promise. It's the bow. God's bow. It's translated here rainbow, but it's a bow. And and so I love the contrast here. I love the contrast here. 
If you go back to chapter 6, before the flood, you will see in verse 12 that God saw the corruption on the earth and he destroyed it with the flood. But now in chapter 9, God has this bow that he himself put, this bow that represents the covenant. And so when he looks down on earth, he's still going to see corruption. When he looks down on your heart and my heart, he's still going to see corruption. But what he's going to see is the bow. And that rainbow It points to the ultimate sign of the covenant, which is what? The cross. So when he looks at you and he looks at me, he sees Jesus and he remembers his promise to redeem you if you are one of his people and to enable you to go multiply and fill the earth with the good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to do. That's what this means. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. This is the gospel. This is good news. God sees us in Christ. And he sees the cross. And he sees the one who bore the curse that we deserve. And gives us the righteousness and the favor that we don't. But he gives it to us by faith. Church, let me ask you. Do you know who we are talking about here? No, really. No, really. Do you know him? I'm looking at all of you, right? Do you know him? I'm not talking like an acquaintance. I'm not talking like I read a book about him one day. I'm not talking about some historical fact. Friend, I'm asking you, do you know him? Because he's the only savior from the floodwaters of God's wrath. And I'm asking you, dear friend, if you are a Christian, do you know him? Do you know what he's capable of in your life to restore what the locusts have eaten, to rebuild what the floodwaters have washed away? Do you know the one of whom we speak this morning? He's here. Jesus Christ, by his spirit. This is the joy of being a Christian. This is the joy of being called to do what everyone is called to do, and that is to worship him. Because listen, if you know him, then this is the question. Will you worship him? Will you worship the one who was crucified and raised and ascended for us? Will you worship the one who will one day return to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, fulfilling God's purpose and God's promise that we have in him? Will you worship God when he leads you into the storm? We, we, we took a bunch of young guys to help move my sister yesterday. Two of the young guys are here this morning. And we asked them, so what do you think about when God leads you into a storm? We set up the scenario. They were in the backseat of the car so they couldn't move. You know, Marcus and I had the doors locked. We were traveling at 65 or 75 or maybe close to 80 miles an hour. Not quite sure. We're trying to get to Vero on time. You understand, right, officer? And, uh, <clears throat> and we said to them, how... What do you think and how do you feel if you're on a boat and you suddenly look up and you see this horrendous, like hurricane-like storm and you know God's leading you into it? And they gave some great answers. How do you feel? What do you do? But just as importantly, as Corey said, um, yes, last week, what are you doing when he leads you out of the storm and you step off onto dry land? Because so many of us tend to forget him. Listen, it's not hard to remember God when you think you're going to die, right? There are no atheists in foxholes or in small boats on hurricane-driven waters. <laughs> there's not. But when everything calms down, do you worship him? Because that's what Noah did. He worshiped. That's God's call on us this morning. 
Will we worship God by offering to him all that we are, everything that we are? Listen, that burnt offering was an offering that was totally consumed, nothing left. Friends, that's the appeal, and it comes fueled by the grace of God, revealed in his promise of salvation, preservation, and security in Christ, and his purpose to send us out to be fruitful and multiply as we make disciples with the gospel, image bearers. We're to fill the earth with his glory. His glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. God's doing that, and he's using us. Oh, do you know who we're talking about here, church? And will we worship him? Let us pray. Worship team, please join me. Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us. I ask the congregation, do you know the one of whom we speak? But I must ask myself, do I know the one of whom I speak? Lord God, you're the one who can restore that which the locusts have eaten. You're the one that recreates the very earth that you destroyed. You're the one that enables us to have life. When Paul wrote that in Ephesians 2, sure he was thinking of this passage as well of the passage in the gospels where you said you must be born again i just want to stop right now and as we're praying if you are not a christian i mean a for reals christian like not just a cultural one but if you haven't bowed your knee to christ as your lord you are in danger of the wrath of god you are dead in your sins as paul wrote in ephesians 2 But here's the good news. God is merciful and he gives you this grace and you're hearing my voice and you're here right now or you're listening digitally and I say, repent and believe for God is the only one that can give life to your dead soul. And and then having given you life, release you into joys unimaginable as you begin to do the very thing that God prepared beforehand for you to do. A fulfillment and a joy unimaginable. And not just in this life, but forever and ever and ever. Repent and believe. And dear Christian, I pray for you that God would give you that grace. Lord, we ask you as a church, give us fresh faith that we would say, yes, we know in whom we believe. Lord, send us out to, be, to multiply and to fill the earth with the gospel and to see disciples made, those who are image bearers of Christ, who are born again. Lord, even as we transition to baptisms in a moment, Thank you for the four lives that are going to be represented up here as those whom you've saved from the floodwaters of your wrath by grace alone. Lord, I pray that we'd worship you as you lead us into and out of the storm. Great is your faithfulness. Let us stand and sing that as a confession.